Well, good morning, everybody. Just a few announcements for you before we get underway with our worship service today. Uh, You may notice that we are short of Blackburn today. Uh, Tasha is uh, helping our friends over at St. Luke's Lutheran uh, this morning with their worship service. Uh, Also, just so you know, uh, they have a 14-page bulletin. So, you know, we're ecumenical. That's great for them. Um, But will you, anyway, I just thought that was funny. Tasha, I've been talking about it all weekend. Other stuff to share with you. This week, pretty quiet around the church. Next week, not quiet around the church. So next Sunday, there will be a kids' craft event at 10 o'clock. Yeah, Morrisons are, well, they're not sure about that, to be honest. There will be a kids' craft event at 10 o'clock on Sunday. Uh, Then on Tuesday, we will have the PW birthday lunch, the Presbyterian Women's Birthday Lunch. Uh, I think for the first time in how many years, Vivian? Two? Two years since we've had a birthday lunch. So congratulations to all of you who didn't have to celebrate birthdays over the last two years. You're still young. Um, And then Wednesday, Tasha's class at the Bakery District will resume uh, at 10 Uh, o'clock. That's when she's going to begin the Presby Who class. So that's going to be talking about what it means to be Presbyterian. We think although we don't know, that there will be a a podcast component to that with Tasha and me working through that stuff. Uh, So that's likely to start a week from the week after this. And then finally, on uh, May the 5th at 8 o'clock in the morning in the Family Center, uh, we are going to have a men's breakfast. We will be men, and we will have breakfast. That's all that we really have planned. Uh, But we're going to give it a go. Uh, Thanks to Conley for spearheading that. There he is, 8 a.m. There will be uh, pancakes and there will be bacon. So I don't really know what else. I mean, bacon pretty much sells it, I feel like. Right, what more do you need, right, Jenny? All right. With all that in mind, let us prepare our hearts for the worship of Almighty God.
Our call to worship this morning comes to us from Psalm 118, uh, beginning with verse 26. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast righteousness endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, we pray that your spirit would be present with us this morning as we worship you. Help us to set aside all worries and distractions and fears and be present with you and with one another. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now let's stand and sing our first song. remain standing and using the prayer printed in our bulletin, confess our sins as one people. Let us pray. Holy and merciful God, today we gather as those in need of grace and forgiveness. We have sinned against you and against one another. Hear now these silent prayers of confession.
we offer you this confession, not in order to gain forgiveness, but to respond to the grace we have already received through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is in his holy name we pray. Amen. My friends, who is in a position to condemn? It is only Christ. Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone. The new life has come. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Let us sing to God's glory. of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is the Sunday after Easter, but we remain in Easter tide, so we will listen to this story about Jesus' resurrection. It is from the end of Luke, chapter 24. We're going to begin in verse 13. I invite you now to listen for God's word to us today. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad, Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? Jesus asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in God and word before, mighty in word and deed before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find the body there, they came back and told us that they had had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, 
He walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One thing I've noticed in the church is that sometimes we don't do the best job of making the main thing the main thing. Sometimes there are things that really should be proclaimed fairly loudly, but we just don't talk about them enough. Think about communion for a minute. I was thinking about that this week. I believe I have been taking communion almost as long as I remember. Like, I don't remember a time in my life when I didn't have it. I would go to my grandparents' church in Hennessy, Oklahoma. It was a Christian church, and they had communion every single Sunday, so that meant every time I was there, I had it. And I'm pretty sure my grandparents started giving it to me almost as soon as I could eat or drink. I remember as I moved through my life, I remember being in seminary, and I was going to a particular church in Austin. And at that church, every single time we had communion, and I would walk in and I would see that it was in the bulletin, I'm going to make a confession to you. Are you ready? My first thought was, oh no. I shouldn't say that, but I'm just telling you because that's how I felt. Because their communion liturgy was the most tedious life-killing thing I have ever experienced in a church. It went on and on and on, and the pastor kind of droned his way through it like you had no idea. If you didn't know it was important, you never would have known by the way they talked. And it took forever. It wasn't really until I was older, until I was later in life, that I started to fully understand how absolutely important communion is to my life, my faith, and the faith we all share. We've had it, I think, most of us, because most of us have grown up in church. We've had it for so long. We've had it so many times in our lives that it's just kind of another thing that we do, taking communion together. But communion, for us who follow Jesus, is one of the absolute most important things that happens to us. Any day that we have communion, that is the biggest thing that's happened to us that day. Nothing is bigger than sitting at the table with one another and joining Christ in that meal. Nothing. Nothing's bigger than that. But do you see what I mean? We just don't do that great a job of emphasizing it. I'm bringing it up to you today because this passage that I read to you, this story of Jesus' resurrection, it's a communion passage. It's about emphasizing the importance of the sacrament of communion. Cleopas and his buddy walking along with Jesus had no idea who they were with until he sat with them, took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave thanks. Then the story tells us their eyes were opened and it was revealed who they were with. There's just almost nothing more important for us than this sacrament. And Luke emphasizes that by its place in this story and this story's place in his gospel. That's supposed to be our takeaway. 
Communion is really important. Okay, pin that. I'm going to come back to it, but now I'm going to talk about something else, and it's a bumper sticker. So I was in traffic a while back, as you are, and the car in front of me had a bumper sticker on it, as many cars do, and what did the bumper sticker say? It's the sermon title. I'm Christian, and I vote. Have you seen that sticker before? I was surprised. The day one folks hadn't seen it either. That person must live very close to me. So I see it regularly. I'm Christian, and I vote. And the first time I saw it, I was like, well, great. Like, I'm Christian, and I vote, so we'd probably get along. But then I've tried to figure out, like, what does the bumper sticker actually mean? Like, what are they actually attempting to convey with that message? I'm Christian, and I vote. Like, my first, I have to admit, as I've interrogated the idea, my first thought is that it comes across kind of like a threat, right? Like, I mean, it's not that far from, like, I'm angry and I'm armed. You know what I mean? Like, I'm Christian and I vote. Like, it does have a little bit of a threat to it. So maybe it's a threat. Maybe they want me to think that they have, that that's a primary element of their faith life. That, that could also be it, that they are Christian, and because they are Christian, they vote. And that's the one that I really want to think about today. Because when we think about this idea of discipleship, you've heard this word before, right? Discipleship. What's it mean, being a disciple? What's it mean? Discipleship is the way in which we practice our faith. So the way in which you, over the course of your daily life, go about practicing and living your Christian faith, that is your discipleship. And for each of us, there are areas of our lives that we feel like we do things specifically because we follow Jesus. That's the discipleship. One of the things that I think we feel like we do here in our country because we follow Jesus is vote, right? We vote. We're Americans. We have a democracy. Voting is very important to us. So our faith is very important to us. So we've kind of married the two. We've kind of woven them together. And what I've noticed is that for a whole lot of us, and I might include myself in this, in this category, for a whole bunch of us, one of our primary acts of discipleship is to be politically informed and to vote. Eh? Kind of? You've recognized that? You've seen that before? Maybe you've felt that way before? It's so important to us in our country to be politically aware that we just, we just took this and we just wove it right in to our worldview and to our political understandings. And it doesn't seem like a particularly bad thing, right? It doesn't seem like there's anything particularly dangerous or dire about this idea of about being Christian and voting and wrapping the two up together and putting them with a nice little bow around them. And yet, this is something with which we need to be excessively careful. Why? Well, let's go back to the story. You have Cleopas and his friend, right? And they're walking along. Now keep in mind, guys, this is Easter night. Easter night. 
So they've seen it all. They've been there for Palm Sunday. They've been there for Maundy Thursday. They've been there for Good Friday. They've been there for Easter morning. They have seen the whole thing. And they tell Jesus about all the amazing things that happened in Jerusalem over the past week. They even talk about the resurrection. They even talk about the resurrection. So they know what's happened. And yet we are told they are sad. Why are they sad? It's Easter night. How could you possibly be sad? Every scripture passage in a story, there's always a money line. And this is it. I'm going to read it to you again. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. If you translate that literally, we had hoped that he was the one to set Israel free from the Romans. Why were they sad? Because Jesus did not meet their political expectations. Because he did not achieve their preferred political outcomes. They knew the whole story. I feel like I need to say this again. They knew the whole story. They were able to tell the story of Easter, and still and yet they were sad because he didn't meet their political expectations. And so what does Jesus say to them? <laughs> he says, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe. All of this, all of this happened, all of this happened, and somehow you feel as though you were shortchanged. So here's the thing, right? We're disciples of Jesus. Once you were baptized, you became a disciple of Jesus. Congratulations, you are a disciple of Jesus. The purpose of our lives is to follow Jesus. In order to follow Jesus, we have to recognize Jesus. And how do we recognize Jesus? We find him here. The story could not be more clear. We find him here. That means that place is a big deal. So let's have a little exercise. Are you ready? A little exercise. So when Tasha or I break the bread, pour the juice, we say what are called the words of institution which is like the worst possible name, I think, for the words that we say when we're at communion because it totally minimizes what's happening. Like, those words are incredibly awesome. Like, we should think these are some of the best words we've ever heard, but instead we're like, these are the words of institution. But what are they? You've heard them a million times in your life. So I'm gonna say them for you now. Here's what I want you to do. Here's the exercise. Are you ready? Here's what I want you to do. 
What are the values articulated in the words of institution? What are the values? We didn't make them up. They're the exact words that Paul gives to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So what are the values? Listen for the values. And I'm going to try not to forget them. I warned day one about this, that my memory of the words of institution is tied to my hands because I'm breaking and pouring stuff as I say them. So if I'm, if I'm miming stuff, I'm making sure I remember. Okay, are you ready? You ready? You got your values. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same manner, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood for the remission of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So, what are some of the values you heard reflected in those words? Sacrifice. Gratitude. The reality of universal human sin. A very particular type of memory and a very particular type of hope. I probably missed some. You probably heard some other ones that I didn't list. But those are the values. Those are the values that we find at the table. Humility, sacrifice, gratitude, a very particular type of hope. That's what we find there. Okay. Think now of your absolute favorite politician. An oxymoron, I know, but do your best. Think of your absolute favorite politician. When you think of them, do you think of gratitude, sacrifice, humility, and a very particular type of hope? I'm going to assume that the answer is no. When we think about following Jesus, we have to know where to find him. And if we are confused in our minds, or if we are unclear in our hearts, then history tells us that there is always going to be somebody there to tell us where to look for him. And the place that they're going to tell us where to look for him is in our leaders. Since the inception of Christianity, since the inception of Christianity, no matter the political system, leaders have been telling their Christian followers that they are the ones who embody the most ideal lived form of Christianity. It doesn't matter if it's a monarchy, a republic, a democracy, a dictatorship. There's always someone more than willing to tell us 
that if we are to follow Jesus, we should also follow them. They're the same people, the same people who convinced Cleopas and his friend that because Jesus did not liberate the Israelites from the Romans, that they should somehow be disappointed. It's the same people. I mean, you guys remember eighth grade history? You remember the divine right of kings? You remember that? You can Google it later if you've forgotten it. A thousand years we did that nonsense. So, when we think about what it means to follow Jesus, we should never think about a vote. We should never think about a political leader or party. We should think about this. We should think about the bread and the cup. We should think about the sacrament that we join together as the body of Christ in receiving. We should think about the ways in which we encounter Christ at that table. We should always think about this. This is what tells us who we are. This is what tells us how we're called to live. This is how we celebrate our brotherhood and sisterhood together. That. So like, you know, listen, I'm an American. I think voting's pretty great. I always vote. As an American, should you vote? Yeah, you should probably vote. As a Christian, should you vote? Eh? On the list of ways in which we follow Jesus, it's probably somewhere down around number 237. These values tell us who we are. They tell us who we are. If we aren't sure who we're supposed to be following, they will always point us in the right direction. Sacrifice, gratitude, humility, sin, memory, and a very specific type of hope that one day Christ will come again. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious, holy, and merciful God, we thank you for your church in the world. We thank you this morning for one another, for our brothers and sisters far and near who call this place their home. Help us on this day to be stitched together as brothers and sisters to one another. Help us to together testify and witness to your grace your love, your sacrifice, your humility. Help us to tell your story with our lives. We thank you so much for the saints who have shaped us, the people who live with us and came before us, who left us such a rich spiritual legacy. 
We celebrate all of these things today, O Lord, and ask that they might inspire us as we go out into your world as your disciples. Help us as we leave this place today to leave with hearts, souls, minds, and strength which love you. Help us to leave as people who love our neighbors. Help us to leave as those who love our enemies. Help us to be shaped by this place, by your word, and by your presence this day. We're always mindful of the worries and the fears and the anxieties that we carry with us. And we take this moment now to lift those before you in silent prayer in the hope that you will be present in their midst. We're mindful also of those whom we love and care about who are in need of your presence and specifically your healing touch. We pray for Bruce King as he continues to recover. We pray for Harry Chamberlain this day. We pray for Missy and for the family of Danny Roebuck as they mourn his loss. And we take this moment now to offer to you our silent prayers and prayers aloud for particular people and situations. Holy God, it is with gratitude that we offer all of these prayers to you. Gratitude which has shaped us and gratitude which reminds us of your love. And thus it is in gratitude that we pray the prayer we were taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Please now receive this offering of music.
Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for the many blessings you have bestowed upon us in our lives. We return our humble tithes and offerings to you, that they may be used for your glory in this place and throughout your world. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you.